0: Daily News and Analysis. We keep you informed and inspired.
1: This is World Today.
2: Bernice President Pachis Talon is now on a state visit to China. The military junta in Gabon has named the head of the presidential guard as the transitional leader of the country following a coup. Latest figures from the International Atomic Energy Agency show that China is now the breakaway global leader in new nuclear construction. Welcome to World Today, a news program with a different perspective. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. Benin's President Patrice Talon is now in China for a four-day state visit. This is the first visit by the president in five years. Sun Ye has more from Beijing.
1: China's foreign ministry has said this visit will further deepen the already close ties between the two countries as well as the ties between China and Africa. Also, Chinese foreign ministry says the African leader will attend the global summit for the service trade fair that will kick off this Saturday in Beijing. This is the first visit by the Berlin president since 2018. He was last year for the China Africa Cooperation Forum in 2018 and this visit also comes as the two countries marked last year the 50th anniversary of free in statement of bilateral ties that was in 1972 and Chinese foreign ministry had said over that period the two countries had a good growth momentum and a deep and high level of political trust and has enjoyed fruitful cooperation and coordination across spectrum.
2: So Ye yeah, with the report. Now for more, we're joined by Dr. Yu Jia. She is Director of International Development Cooperation Department at Institute of New Structural Economics at Peking University. Thank you, Dr. Yu. It's good to have you on the show. Yes, thank you. Now, first up, tell us more about Benin, the country. Um, what? Tell us more about um, its development. What's its main economic pillars?
3: Uh, yes, uh, I have been in Benin many times. So each time I have enjoyed the trip. And Benin is a West African country with a population of about 13 million people, a little bit more than the population of Hainan province in China. And Benin is a very important commercial hub with borders with like Nigeria, Burkina Faso, Niger, and Togo. So the trade is is vital for Benin, especially trading with Nigeria. And Benin is a politically stable country. The economic growth is relatively fast in recent years. Before the pandemic, Benin's GDP growth was in an accelerating trend, increasing from. in 2015 to 6.9% in 2019. And even in the pandemic reading year of like 2020, it achieved a growth rate of Mm 3.8%, being one of the few countries globally to achieve economic growth despite the pandemic. And it performed Uh, exceptionally well in Africa and was the fastest growing country within the West African Economic and Monetary Union. And the IMF predicts that the real growth rate from 2024 to 2028 will reach an annual average of at least 6%, indicating a very strong economic resilience. Mm. And as far as trade and infrastructure concerned, Benin's geographical location has positioned it as a trade hub for landlocked neighboring countries such as uh, Niger and Burkina Faso. And the port of Cotonou is one of the largest and busiest ports in West Africa mm. and which play a major role in the regional trade and undergoing expansion projects right now. So the government of Beijing has been working to improve infrastructure like the transportation, energy and telecommunications. So this is essential for the, uh, boosting economic growth and the
2: connectivity. Mm, thank you for a very detailed analysis of the economic structure of the country. Um, what about President Talon himself? How does his China policy look like?
3: Uh, yeah, uh, President zha was uh, elected in 2016 and re-elected in 2021. And before he became the president, uh, President zha was a businessman. So mm. he has been very pragmatic in improving the investment climate in Beijing. And in particular, he has been very keen in attracting the investment from China. And after President zha took office in 2016, he was promoted the government action plan with a major focus on like good governance, the rule of law, the economy, and the people's livelihoods. Uh, he implemented over 400 reforms and actively punished corruption, resulting in a significant change in various fields such as finance, economy, and society. Mm-hmm. And the President Battistalon, he is a great, a great friend of China. And he's very supportive of, like, one-China policy. And this time is the third time that President Dalong visited China. And recently, President Dalong gave an interview to a French television. Mm-hmm. So while discussing China's governance model, he said, the Chinese development model and good governance should inspire all developing countries mm-hmm. because China's experience shows that development is something that every country can achieve. So he maintains a very friendly attitude towards China and places high importance on Sino-Biening relations, uh, considering China as Benin's most crucial cooperative partner. Mm. And uh, he has visited China on multiple occasions, like travel to places like Guangzhou, Shenzhen, and Shanghai, he deeply appreciates China's remarkable achievements in the field of reform and open-up policy. So he believes that these achievements are primarily due to China's investment in the manufacturing sector and is willing to draw from China's experience in economic and social development. Uh, For example, uh. The President Salon Highly appreciates Professor Justin E. lin like mm. our dean, yeah. Uh, Professor Justin E. Fulin, especially the new structural economic theory. Mm-hmm. So, with the assistance of our think tank team, the Benin government is vigorously developing like industrial parks, and he promulgated the economic special. Um, the economic special zone law. Mm. So they aim to attract international investors to foster Benin's economy. And additionally, the Benin government has been especially attentive to Chinese investors. They are even planning to jointly establish a fund with the Chinese government to support Chinese enterprises investing in the industrial park or help the Chinese investors to share the risk.
2: Mm. Right. There's a lot of details to that. Uh, so Dr. Yu, 2020 um, last year marked the 50th anniversary of diplomatic relations between China and Benin. In general, how would you evaluate the current level of bilateral relations uh, in areas of economy, development, global governance, etc.? Yeah,
3: the bilateral relations uh, between China and Benin has a solid foundation for development. So China has provided various types of assistance to Beijing for a very long time. For example, uh, in the, the cooperation in the healthcare sector, mm. China sent its first medical team to Beijing in 1978. Mm. And up to now, uh, 26 batches totaling more than 600 people have been sent. And the bilateral relationship is currently on a positive trajectory with a trend toward further closeness. And uh, for example, our research team has assisted Baning in top-level design and assisting the, them to uh, formulate the economic special zone law. And the Benin government attaches great importance to uh, developing the china Benin relationship and acknowledging China's Uh, independent theoretical uh, innovations, for example, like the new structural economics and development experience, such as the uh, establishment of economic special zones as evidence of this. Mm -hmm. And currently Benin is taking uh, various measures to elevate the cooperation between the two countries to a a very high level, and this includes further intensifying economic and trade interactions, as well as uh, innovative efforts at the institutional level. Uh, for instance, there are efforts to uh, promote direct settlement in zhenminbi and uh, contributing to a uh, comprehensive uh, bilateral cooperation. And from China's side, uh, last year, December first, two 2022, China provides Beining with 98% tariff-free treatment for goods exported to China. Mm-hmm. So the achievements of cooperation between the two sides have provided strong uh, exemplars. Mm-hmm. And both countries uh, exib- uh, show significant complementary trends in areas such as modern agriculture or agriculture processing, textile weeks um, and footwear, apparel, etc., especially the labor-intensive industries and renewable energy, traditional and digital infrastructure, and international climate governance. So there is substantial potential for cooperation, and personally, I'm highly optimistic about the, uh, the future prospects of cooperation between the two countries.
2: Right now, uh, for this trip by President Patrice Talon, uh, Doctor Yu, what issues do you think are among his priorities? Yeah,
3: uh, business promotion,
2: mm-hmm.
3: or so, in other words, attracting the Chinese investment. Yeah, I uh, President Talon has continuously improved things like business environment in recent years. The Uh, Reliability of water and electricity supply has significantly increased, coupled with political stability and good social security. The country now has um, uh, the condition to enhance its level of industrialization and this can be observed through initiatives like the construction of the industrial park goluji bay mm-hmm. it's a local industrial park and i believe that during uh, his visit to china president dalong aims to both strengthen the traditional friendship between our uh between the two countries and importantly attract more Chinese enterprises to invest in and establish themselves in Benin. So he also hopes to further elevate the level of trade between China and Benin, uh including in the realm of service trade.
2: Yeah. Mm, right. Well, Dr. Yu, thank you for a very detailed analysis. Uh, We do appreciate your time and your insights. That was Dr. Yu Jia, Director of International Development Cooperation Department at Institute of New Structural Economics at Peking University. Coming up, we'll take a look at the political turmoil happening in Gabon.
4: As one of CGTN radio's most popular programs, World Today provides listeners with a strong mix of international news and business. It delivers in depth analysis of current affairs and one on one interviews, bringing you the stories behind the news, not just what's happening, but why.
2: Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. The military junta in Gabon has named head of the Presidential Guard as the transitional leader of the Central African country following a coup. General Brice Ngima became commander-in-chief of the Republican Guard in 2019. Shortly after the nation's electoral body announced on Wednesday that President Ali Bango had won a third term, senior military officials declared the election results invalid and placed Bango under house arrest. The international community has voiced concerns over Wednesday's coup, with the African Union condemning the move as a flagrant violation of the organization's legal and political instruments. Now, for more, we're joined by Dr. Wang Jin. He is associate professor at Northwest University in Xi'an, China. Thank you, Dr. Wang. It's good to have you back on the show.
5: Uh, It's my pleasure.
2: Now, are you surprised by these developments in Gabon in the past few days?
5: Uh, well, of course, because this is a kind of the new round, of, maybe a new round of uh, turmoil and the crisis in the Gabon, and we have to know that uh, if before this uh, uh, this kind of the round of the crisis, everything seemed went well, mm-hmm. and uh, as you mentioned, that the new kind of the government is uh, is going to form, and also the new kind of the political order is going to uh, uh, construct, but then something uncertainty around, uh happened with uh, without any. Uh, very alarmed or without any uh, the, the news and uh, before. So it's kind of a uh, surprise to, I think it's not a kind of a surprise to, to me, but also a surprise to the people in Gabon, but also the neighboring countries in uh, around the Gabon. And we have to know that uh, this new round of uh, <coughs> crisis, a new round of uh, uncertainty might, uh, on the one hand, uh, uh, shaken uh, shaken or uh, influenced negatively the uh, political stability and political order inside Gabon. On the other hand, I think it will also lead to more uncertainties uh, in Africa and also especially in the in the states around Gabon itself. Mm. Thanks.
2: Now, Doctor Wang, Zing, help us understand the background of the military coup that happened earlier. I mean, uh, what's the main discontent from people?
5: Uh, I think that there could be a lot of discontent for example mm. uh, gabon is a country with uh, uh with uh, with very uh uh with very good uh, natural resources and also with uh, very uh uh good uh, connections with outside world but then on the other hand we have to know that gabon is a country with the very very uh, big uh, amount of people with of the poverty and uh uh, life difficulties and also the the gap between the rich people and the poor people are also very apparent. So uh, many people may feel uh, discontent with the uh, status quo, and also uh, many people hope to change it and reform it. But on the other hand, there were still a lot of efforts has already been made, uh, maybe some of the reforms and also some of the uh, efforts that uh, hopes to uh, reconstruct the country through the political manner and also through the military manner. But then uh, there was uh, due to some uh, different uh, aspects of uh, the reality and also due to the challenges and the difficulties of itself, uh, these efforts and uh, finally failed. So it uh, has become a very, very international topic that uh, why the country mm. they cannot uh, overthrow this kind of difficulties to develop better. Mm-hmm. Uh, social conditions. So that is why this maybe a lot of people feel discontent, and also maybe uh, this is a very very major uh, background of this military coup. But on the other hand, we have to know that in Africa and like uh, similar to also other developing countries, uh, military forces in the countries are the very uh, factors and that need to be controlled more effectively. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that is why uh, uh, under some conditions, uh, when some uh, uh, military officers and some military elements, they try to organize themselves into the uh, kind of the unit to recontrol control the country, they might take action. And this sometimes, this, this, this kind of actions will lead to a new round of political changes inside the country.
2: Mm. Now, Dr. Wang Jin, tell us more about uh, the economy of Gabon. I mean, what are the main pillars of its economic growth?
5: Uh, well, I think uh, the, the like a lot of other developing countries, uh, the Gabon is uh, also the country uh, that uh, depends upon its natural resources and uh, also upon its, uh, its own exporting. Because uh, just as a lot of ex- developing countries in uh, Africa, in Latin America, Gabon is a country with a lot of uh, natural resources. We hope to export these <coughs> natural resources into the global market in exchange of uh, global. Foreign currency, uh, then to uh, then to, for example, buy the very advanced e- equipment and uh, uh, other necessities on the international uh, market to mm. uh, to meet the demands of its own people and the more uh, society's development needs. So it's uh, as we, we as, as always stress Gabon is the country the miniature of the developing country and also also the miniature of the of the African. Uh, a lot of African countries. Mm. So yes, there were, they still, there was still a problem. There was still a lot of problem. But uh, uh, due to this kind of international uh, uh, societies' uh, injustice mm. and also the unjust uh, global market, there were mm. this kind of problem might become bigger and bigger inside this country. So that lead to more uncertainties and more crisis into the country.
2: Right. Well, uh, Gabon is a member of OPEC um, and also Africa's seventh largest oil producer. So, Dr. Wang, how much does the stability and development of Gabon matter for the global energy market?
5: Well, it matters a lot because mm-hmm. Gabon, as you mentioned, is a member of OPEC and also uh, the Gabon's uh, on the one hand, it will, uh, uh, to some extent, it will influence the confidence about the people, especially investors and uh, uh, com- uh, contractors of the energy-related sectors, uh, because some people might uh, suspect okay, whether the Gabon's military group might influence the, the daily, uh, the daily produ- production of the country and also whether it will lead to uh, the, the, the higher price of the energy price uh, uh, the global energy price. So that, that is, of course, a very direct influence. And on the other hand, I think it has a very indirect uh, influence because many of the investors, uh, they they might have uh, the, the the very anxious need to know whether or not this military uh, group might uh, be copied in other parts of Africa, especially in other parts of uh, the, the energy-developing African countries and other energy-developing countries uh, globally. So they might have this kind of uh, their confidence be uh, limited and be uh, I mean, be cut. So that is why I think it will, of course, uh, influence the global market. But we have to know that Gabon, yes, it is the third uh, largest uh, energy exporter in Africa and also is a member of uh, the OPEC. But we have to know it's not uh, so important, just as Saudi Arabia, just as as uh, the, the Iraq and the the the, the Qatar not that, not that mm. much. So mm. I think maybe uh, maybe weeks later, I think the confidence will come back if the the social order and the political order restored. I think everything will come to normal.
2: Mm. Now, Dr. Wang, Jing, China, has called for dialogue and resumption of normal life as early as possible um, in the country. So, in reality, what can the international community do?
5: I think on the one hand, we have to. Uh, uh, we have to mobilise more uh and uh, more attention uh mm. into this uh, event because the government, we uh, we always stress that this is it is a miniature what's happening there is a miniature of the developing countries just as and as many developing countries. But uh, when there were some crises, there were some uncertainties that has already been there. Nobody uh, gives enough attention. Nobody gives enough uh, the con- uh, country uh, uh, con- uh, con- concentration. But then some, suddenly a big event erupts. Some people go to uh, pay a little attention. Say, okay, now <clears throat> this is thing happening. We cannot ignore them. Mm. We cannot forget them. We have to pay attention to these uh, developing countries. And also on on the other hand. Uh, after this uh, this, uh, this political turmoil, we we have to uh, uh, organize uh, the international society. I mean, together with China and other African countries, to uh, help uh, work with different parts, parties, and different elements inside the country. Because there was still a lot of discussion of what directions of the country should going forward and what what kind of the developing strategy should the, the country that uh, implement and adopt it. So uh, I think the international society could help them, but but no matter what happens, stability and development should be first, should be put in the very priorities, uh, uh, before uh, be, before any other uh, the, the 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 events. So I think this that should be the most important thing uh, for mm. Gabon.
2: Well, Doctor Wang, briefly, uh, how do you see things moving forward?
5: Well, I think uh, I, I I I hope I mean I hope mm. that uh, this kind of the Uh, This political turmoil might end uh, in the future through the political dialogue and political negotiations, not only inside the country, by the different political organizations, political uh, elements, political uh, groups, but then also under the assistance of the neighboring countries, especially the neighboring countries, they could maybe form kind of a dialogue team to help bridge different parties to organize the new uh, framework to help the people there to move forward peacefully and, st- and st- st- stable. Mm.
2: Indeed, that is the hope. Thank you. That was Dr. Wang Jin, associate professor at Northwest University in Xi'an, China. After the break, China is becoming the breakaway global leader in new nuclear construction. This is World Today. We'll be right back after a short break. Dan Wang, Chief Economist of Hansan Bank China. The world today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Latest figures from the International Atomic Energy Agency show that China is now the breakaway global leader in new nuclear construction. The IAEA's newly published 2023 edition of its Country Nuclear Power Profiles shows that China has 21 nuclear reactors under construction, with the capacity for generating more than 21 gigawatts of electricity. That is two and a half times more nuclear reactors under construction than any other country. The IAEA's report says India has the second largest nuclear build out right now, with eight reactors under construction that will be able to generate more than six gigawatts of electricity. Now, for more, we're joined by Wu Changhua. She is CEO, Beijing Future Innovation Center and Executive Director of Professional Association for China's Environment. Thank you, Changhua, for joining us again. Thank you for having me again. Now, first up, uh, tell us more about uh, this um, nuclear, country nuclear power profiles by the IAEA. And are you surprised by China's rapid development?
6: Well, I think such a report is a sort of a good uh, uh, platform showing the progresses to the capacity of nuclear power plants mm-hmm. and either under construction or in operation. And that prevents somehow add to the picture of the global clean energy transition. Uh, I'm not really surprised in a way because I know China has been gearing its efforts uh, in the last few decades, really gearing up its efforts to develop. Uh, nuclear power plants fleet, mm-hmm. and as the latest number shows, and this China is particular for new capacity, China is definitely leading uh, globally. Uh, Particularly put in the context comparison with the U.S., there's only one, uh, you know, nuclear power plants now, uh, you know, under construction in the U.S. at this bo- this moment. Even though, of course, US has been the dominating global leader in terms of, you know, nuclear power plants capacity in operation. Mm-hmm. Uh, another side of the story, which is a sort of interesting, is that if you look at the current, you know, in operation capacity, seventy mm-hmm. percent of nuclear power plants are actually in OECD countries, meaning developed countries. Right. But now, for the the new capacity under construction, seventy-five percent actually are in non oecd countries and half of them actually half of that is in China that provides a holistic picture of where uh, we stand today, particularly from a China perspective and the efforts and the de- dedication from China to really move forward with this clean energy revolution
2: mm. well, thank you for putting that out uh, for pointing out that pointing that out um Uh, Because I think it is important to see that, uh, you know, developing economies are certainly making a lot of effort in this uh, front. Um, So Changhua, tell us uh, what's the advantages of nuclear reactors when compared with traditional energy? And uh, also what precautions should developers bear in mind, you know, when working on this kind of energy?
6: Well, I use the I use the phrase "clean energy revolution," mm-hmm. and uh, so we all know, uh, particularly in the, car, in the current context of global climate change challenges, there uh, countries, particularly large economies, have been really making steadfast efforts to drive clean energy transition. And the nuclear power power or nuclear uh, uh, power capacity definitely has been regarded as a part an important part of the solution. And because it doesn't emit any uh, CO2, uh, greenhouse gases. Mm. Uh, so that's why it's one of the cleanest, uh, you know, uh, sort of nuclear uh, electricity sources there. And from China perspective, uh, we all know China has been burning mostly coal, uh, mm. fossil fuels. And besides energy security challenges, there we we've been experiencing air pollution, air quality challenges there. And now, actually looking at the current situation and looking into the future, China has been investing heavily in wind and solar energies there. So we need intermittent capacity, actually. So nuclear power plants have been also provided that sort of support as well. And so in a nutshell, I think the strength, the advantages of nuclear power plants definitely is very, very obvious, but mm. there's always the other side. We all know uh, there is this nuclear, conventional nuclear sort of waste issues there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I don't think there is magic yet in terms of really address that. So we, that's going to be a challenge we continue to face. In the meantime, we all know we need in nuclear power plants, reactors need cooling. So water uh, has been an important part of the resources demand there. Mm-hmm. Now, on top of that, uh, particularly with, you know, intensifying, increasing uh, climate disasters, with the geological disasters there, like earthquakes, tsunamis, storms, whatever. Uh, so that sort of a risk has been coming more and more sort of, the, you know, urgent in terms of uh, on the high alert for the safety and security reasons.
2: Mm. Indeed. Uh, Well, so China is a newcomer, but China is coming very strong, as you said. Uh, What factors do you think have contributed to China's rapid rise in developing nuclear reactors in recent years?
6: I I think energy security definitely is one of them. And Mm. uh, environmental quality, uh, environmental, you know, particular air pollution, uh, plus more and more so now is climate change. And uh, as I mentioned, the other dimension is that now with really aggressive installations of solar and wind energy capacity, now more than ever, we need uh, more solid energy sources like nuclear power plants uh, to support the transition or accelerated the scaling of installations of renewable energies there. Uh, so I think China, would, even though the number is really, a, you know, sort of alarming or shocking and impressive, mm-hmm. but we all know nuclear power uh, plants accounts today, it has about 5% of China's overall energy security, you know, sort of mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, even looking into, say, 2035, when about 85% of China's, uh, you know, electricity will be generated by non-fossil fuels. Mm. And uh, in that context their nuclear will be part of it say the plan is one hundred and fifty gigawatt. China is definitely on track towards that. But in, in overall, uh, we have many other sources there, particularly uh, renewable energy like solar and wind. And besides actually, so even though we continue to have some fossil fuels there, but we had to make sure that zero carbon emissions Uh, Sort of, uh, you know, uh, coal-fired power plants in operation.
2: Mm, Indeed, I think when we, whenever we talk about China's energy transition, we always have to bear in mind that it is such a market. Uh, such a big market. So, uh, Changhua, in related development, uh, the latest Air Quality Life Index report, which is produced by Chicago University, found out that China's fine particular, uh, p- uh, particulate air, air pollution as PM2.5 has been decreasing. Since the country announced a war against pollution in 2014, uh, the report said uh, this decline has continued through 2021, with pollution levels down by 42 percent compared to 2013. Um, how would you see the background for this decline?
6: Well, air pollution has been a challenge, mm-hmm. and uh, for China, uh, as the report sort of the context of this research is that in the last decade, in particular. Uh, China nationwide actually has really put uh, the, all the efforts together from government, business, society—you name it—from all sectors, all regions. They're trying to address this particular issue. There, one well, major part of the driver is public health threats, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, because people PM two point five is just a fine particles so that could really penetrate into our lungs and into our lungs. You know blood streams is really mm. hazardous to our health there uh you know not only compromising our health situation but also shorten our life expectancy there, as this study again actually demonstrated already uh so uh, overall, I think you know China definitely has made huge in progress and uh, with the current sort of as a data in in depth data demonstrated there, but uh, the challenges remain. And mm-hmm. because if you compare to where China stands today, China's national standard is 35 micrograms per cubic meters. This mm-hmm. is the API, air quality, uh, sort of the index there, the standard. they you put that compared to WHO recommended the 5 micrograms per cubic meters, China still has a long way to go. Mm-hmm. And I think one particular dimension that requires you know, there is more, you know, attention from China perspective is that this health has, even though we, you know, we've made a progress there, but somehow it's still, we're still not there yet, mm-hmm. particularly, particularly compared to life expenses and the health impacts there. So China needs to continue to gear up its efforts. Now, in that bigger context, back to the earlier topic about the nuclear power plants there, China has to continue to gear ahead with this accelerated clean energy transition and in that context actually nuclear power plants will be an important part of the energy mix actually not only now down the road we still need that
2: Mm. well thank you for very insightful analysis that was wu changhua ceo beijing future innovation center and executive director of professional association for china's environment this is world today we'll be right back Hi, I'm Einar Tangen, a political and economic analyst and senior fellow at the Independent Taiher Institute. World Today is news without the hype and business commentary that is informed and up to date, presenting the facts and asking incisive questions. So join us if you are someone who needs to know what is happening in China as it is happening. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. China's manufacturing sector has witnessed an improved business climate. The National Bureau of Statistics says the country's Purchasing Managers Index, or PMI, came in at 49.7 in August from 49.3 in July. Meanwhile, China's non-manufacturing PMI came in at 51 in August. It has stood well above the boomer bust line for eight consecutive months, indicating robust activities in the service and construction industries. Now, for more, my colleague Xu Wen spoke with Dr. Qu Tiang, Research Fellow of Global Issues at Beijing Foreign Studies
4: University.
7: Dr. Qu, first of all, what's your initial reaction to the newly released data?
4: Well, I think that is, uh, actually, within our a- expectations. If you remembered, we actually has been talking about this for several times this year. We said this year is going to be the year of recovery. It's not going to be very fast. It's going to take some time, but it's going to be firm and steady. And now, after three, uh, you know, after f- six months of reopening, actually, we've been counting reopening since the Spring Festival, which is in the end of uh, February, early March. So it just past six. Months or half a year, and now we've been seeing uh, that uh, everything is on the way back. If you take a look at the service industry, it's very very hot. Manufacturing also been expanding even against the current background. If you take a look at the whole world, uh, the Germans PMI and PPI has been dropping very fast. Same happened to Vietnam, to Indonesia, to France, but still China is. Uh, resilient in manufacturing. It shows that um, we still got domestic market vibrant. So I think the whole economy are having a uh, good expectation in the second half of the year.
7: How do you view the supportive measures that was announced by the government recently, both in terms of monetary and fiscal policies?
4: I think Chinese government has made a lot of effort to rebuild the whole economy. And uh, The series of policy has been implemented one by one and it's still coming from the domestic demand to the import and export and also towards the financial support to the fiscal expending. I think uh, they're doing a whole package. Uh, For example, if you take a look at the news recently around China, find out uh, the retail mortgage uh, interest rate has been dropping continuously, uh, which is good news for the construction industry and uh, property market. And also, taking a look at the export and import, I think um, you can notice the number has also been growing up uh, very quickly. And uh, one funny thing is that um, if you take a look at not only the uh, mainland numbers, but also if you take a look at the uh, trade numbers in Hong Kong, you will find out actually the two numbers combined together are showing a very good progress because later we find out this month many Chinese exporters are actually using Hong Kong as a springboard for the international trade because hong kong has a more convenient international clearing and settlement uh, environment and condition so i think um we've been looking at more of the things that are coming out chinese government is providing the subsidies and uh you know the tax rebate for many uh, the factories and the companies so you will gonna look at more of the things coming out i'm not going to be stopping right now i think until we the a uh, full recovery of our economy. We're going to see all these policies being here for quite a while.
7: It's been reported that among the 21 surveyed industries, 12 showed expansion in August, up from 10 the previous month. So would you say there has been an overall improvement in the manufacturing climate?
4: Yes. A complicated thing is that uh, China is recovering uh, for sure. For example, if I take a look at the uh, service industry, uh, if you come here, you will notice that is not just a recovering, it's actually been overheating. I, as a customer, I'm kind of bothered by it because if you want to book a good hotel or book a good restaurant, if you want to go travel, uh, the train ticket and air ticket is really, really you know, difficult to get. So people are everywhere, uh, traveling, tourism, uh, meeting friends. So it's been really vibrant. Uh, mm-hmm. If you come to China, you can feel the vibe. You don't need me to explain it to you. And also for the export. Export and trade is actually complicated because it's not only China's thing, it's the whole world issue. Like I mentioned, uh, China is right now uh, mounting up the demand in the domestic market. But as a world factory, I think uh, we also need to take a look at the global demand. Uh, but in Europe, uh, the demand recently has been challenging. In North America, America USA is, is doing still okay. But for Canada and uh, for Mexico, we're not sure about the market. For Latin America, probably also has lots of challenges. The same happens to Africa. So uh, there are many uncertainties cannot be decided by China alone. We need a global effort together. And also for another thing for China, I think its uh, expectation in the property market remain not re- fully recovered. So that's the reason why we would take a look at the construction numbers. The construction sector is a part of the non-manufacturing PMI in China, which is still uh, not in a uh, fully expanded uh, zone. So Mm -hmm. I think this still needs uh, more of the observations and more support by the government.
7: Another thing is about China's composite PMI. These numbers stood at 51.3 in August, and some experts suggest this indicates ongoing expansion in overall production across both manufacturing and non manufacturing enterprises. So, what are your observations on this?
4: Yes, I think uh, the overall PMI is actually a good uh, meter for uh, Chinese economic sentiment. Uh, as we discussed before, remember, um, I said it's going to be very slow in the beginning. People need to repair their debt, repair their cash flow, build up positive expectation, and then they're going to expand their business, borrowing money, recruit more people. So it's going to take some time. And for China, it's a very big economy, a very huge group of the consumers, uh, very diversified demand. So it's very hard to just to, to weigh Chinese economy's weight by only one or two dimensions. So I think recently, China, the reason why it's resilient is because not only we have the uh, global market, but also we have domestic market. Also in China, we have something we call the springboard effect, which means in certain area, if the whole market field is not as good as we expected, and then the weight will shift to the other end. So it always will balance itself. That's the reason why Chinese economy is resilient.
7: Dr. Chu, you talk about the foreign trade and investment in China, actually, there are two numbers I'd like to share with you. One is that in the first half of 2023, countries including France, Britain, and Japan, they have all boosted their investment in China by 130%, 135%, and 53%, respectively. Another number is that some 24,000 new foreign invested firms were established in China in the same period. That's up by 35.7 percent year on year. What does that tell us about how foreign investments view Chinese market and also their prospect on Chinese economy in the future?
4: Um, I think business people and investors are uh, the closest observer and a doer in all kinds of market so they will understand what's actually been happening and that they are true to their own money right um if you take a look at all over the world you will find out actually the powerhouse of the economy in the whole world is not too many so if you want to guarantee your investment can be safe and growing there's no many not so many that you can put down your money on china as one of the largest economy in the whole world we have the largest growing middle income class in the whole world and um, we still have a very, very strong vitality within ourselves. And China is one of the uh, countries with the safest environment, a rather complete legal system. And all those guaranteed that your money you put down in there can be safe. And also, take a look at the exchange rate of China. In the past uh, three or four years, uh, most of the major currencies, they fall, uh, they depreciated greatly against the US dollar, but China still the fault that was a very limited uh, extent so it's rather stable currency among the counterparts. so against all these reasons i think the investors have the reason to dump their money in china
2: that was Xu Qiang, research fellow of global issues at beijing foreign studies university you're listening to world today we'll be right back
0: welcome i'm elaf Elard. Economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in depth and impartial insight, as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business, and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today. Welcome
2: back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. North Korea's Korean Central News Agency reported that the country has fired two short-range ballistic missiles in a drill simulating a nuclear strike on targets in South Korea. KCNA's report said the move was a response to the ongoing joint military exercises by the United States and South Korea. South Korea's Joint Chief of Staff said in a statement that North Korean missiles were launched from a site around Pyongyang and traveled about 360 kilometers before landing off the peninsula's east coast. Now, for more, we're joined by Rong Ying, his vice president and senior research fellow at China Institute of International Studies. Thank you, Dr. Rong Ying, for talking to us again.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: Now, first up, how would you comment on the impact of the military drill by the U.S. and South Korea um, on the stability of the Korean Peninsula?
0: Well, I think as we know that uh, the situation uh, on the peninsula, the Korean Peninsula, once again, uh, stands uh, at a uh, critical period, mm. uh, which I think have sort of a new round of uh, uh, tensions uh, caused by, um, primarily caused by the uh, uh, Uchi Pre- Freedom uh, Shield joint military exercises, and again, of course, being responded by North Korea's missile uh, 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 launches. So we have military exercises, we have launchers of missiles, and this is, like, uh, I think, very dangerous and and an and an issue of concern because. If this the tension goes on, and it can easily uh, lead to the uh, risk increase, the risk of confrontation and conflict, and we even cannot rule out the possibility of war, either out of uh, out of uh, uh, because of miscalculation. Mm. So I think the, all the relevant parties have to be really. Uh, exercise control, uh, uh, restraints, and return uh, to make effort to calm the situation and return to the track of dialogue.
2: Mm. Well, certainly the situation is very worrisome. Now, Korean Central News Agency said on Tuesday that Kim Jong-un marked his country's Navy Day, stating that U.S.-led hostilities in seas off the peninsula had increased, quote-unquote, the danger of a nuclear war. How would you comment on his words?
0: Well, I think North Korea has been very much sensitive and very much concerned about the uh, uh, moves and the policies and the policies of the United States, uh, particularly in terms of military exercises like that, because from the North Korea's perspective, I think this is a very strong indication of a continued uh, hostile policy towards North Korea, directly at at the survival or the safety and the security of its regime. And uh, as we know, this. This year's the joint military exercise has been unprecedentedly large. And also, I think the introduction of the B-1B strategic bomber, mm. uh, which I think uh, for no- from North Korea's perspective is very much a provocation. So for that, I think uh, the North Koreans responded by not only launching the exercise, but also talking about the possibility of conflict, real conflict, and, uh, and even nuclear conflict. As a matter of fact, I think North Korea did also have its own uh, tactical nuclear drill, and mm-hmm. specifically talking about uh, the uh, the access. I mean, the the the, the 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 to exercise the possibility of striking. I mean, nuclear striking the headquarters, of the commanders.
2: Well, Dr. Rong Ying, uh, in, in their first standalone uh, meeting, the leaders of uh, America, South Korea, and Japan met just a few days ago in Camp David in Maryland of America, uh, and they vowed for further economic and military cooperation in East Asia. How do you think that's, that has influenced uh, the policy of North Korea?
0: And yeah, that's a very good question. I think the uh, situation on on the peninsula the, or the peninsula issue is not simply an issue of nuclear and missile uh, missile program missile. As a matter of fact as we have seen that it is uh, a kind of a political and a security issue as uh, a legacy I mean, left over by the Cold War mm. and uh, the United States the policy uh, but, uh, towards the region down the peninsula and most recently, I think, a step in strengthening the trilateral uh, military cooperation mm-hmm. in uh, extending the so-called extended um, uh, nuclear deterrence has always been viewed, or I mean, for North for North Korea, is a an threat. And more, make, to make the matter worse, I think the United States has also made efforts to try to incorporate. I mean the Korean Peninsula into the Indo-Pacific strategy that mm. cause I mean even more com- problems complications in terms of strategic uh, trust or strategic balance uh, for make for for the for the region Indeed. and I think uh, mm. uh, uh, we really have to keeping these developments in mind and mm. uh, rather than criticizing or pointing at, at choosing finger at the one side in particular.
2: Indeed. Thank you. That was Rongying, Vice President, and Senior Research Fellow at China Institute of International Studies. That's all the time we have for this edition of World Today. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. For further discussions, you can follow us on the X platform at CGTN Radio. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Thank you for staying with us. Bye for now.